1: This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to
2: Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm speaking to you from New York City on this, the 27th day of August, 2019. It's certainly been a good day for gold. It's up some 15 bucks Silver is up uh, about 50 cents, that's about 3% on the day, so obviously some things are starting to stir in the precious metals markets, which of course this show is focused on to a great extent. Before I talk about uh, more about today's show, let me remind you, I am the editor of Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. Um, uh, people are finding this uh, newsletter to be of considerable value now, given the fact that uh, we're actually making... Uh, a nice bit of money on some of the calls that I've made in this uh, um, in my newsletter not not necessarily my fault Uh, we have some wind at our backs and we've made some some really fascinating uh, picks and some of these stocks are finding a lot of gold and silver in the ground and it really is a very exciting time miningstocks.com you can sign up for it by going to jt uh, going to uh you can sign up for my newsletter, J. Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks, I should say, by going to miningstocks.com. also like to encourage you to consider signing up for Chen Lin's letter. Chen will be with me in a few minutes from now. Chenpix.com is the place to go for what to buy, what is Chen buying, what is Chen selling. That's his newsletter, um, and he comes out with that. Whenever there's some important news on his recommendations, he will send emails out to his subscribers chenpix.com is a place to go to sign up for chen's letter i do want to thank each of you for listening to this show making it one of the more popular shows in the voice america business channel also want to encourage you to keep your questions comments whatever comments you have send them along to questionsforTaylor@gmail.com, at gmail.com questions at number four taylor at gmail.com and uh, we uh, must thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable Sponsors for today's show, Klondike Gold, Novo Resources, Radisson Mining Resources, and Great Bear Resources. Four companies, I might add, that I'm very proud to have as sponsors. They're all doing very well in their exploration efforts. I do want to thank each of you for uh, listening to this show again. And uh, again, keep your questions and comments uh, going along, coming along to us at questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. I've titled today's show, Rocket Fuel for Gold impending deeply negative interest rates. Alistair McLeod, Chen Lin, also is with me today. Michael will not be able to be with us, but uh, in just a moment, I will pass along some of his uh, some of his views that he uh, related to his subscribers this past weekend as they pertain to the markets that we follow weekly here on this show. Alistair McLeod wrote in an essay that he uh, wrote a couple of weeks back. He said, and I quote, Growing evidence of a severe global recession is sure to provoke more aggressive monetary policies from central banks. They had hoped to have the leeway to cut interest rates significantly after normalizing them. That has not happened. Thus, as the recession intensifies, central banks will see no alternative to deeper negative rates, no alternative to deeper negative rates to keep their governments and banks afloat by eliminating borrowing costs and inflating bond prices. It will be the last throw of the fiat money dice, and if pursued, will ultimately end in the death of them. Gold and Bitcoin prices are now beginning to detect deeper negative rates and the adverse consequences for fiat currencies, end of quote. So that is a topic that we'll be talking to Alistair about in the second half of today's show. Chen Lin just returned from uh, China, Australia, and other Asian countries where he traveled on vacation with his family. He also uh, was uh, visited the Novo Resources, which I'm sure he'll tell us about. He's going to be with us right after the first commercial break. And uh, he's you know he has an ongoing dialogue with the former countrymen of his in, in China. So he has a very unique perspective regarding the existing American-Chinese relationship, which is uh, not very good, to say the least, these days under the Trump presidency. That and other topics I will explore with Chen, so I'm really looking forward to what he has to say about a couple of his favorite uh, stock picks as well. Given Michael's absence, let me just pass along a couple of his comments from his 360 weekend letter that he sends out uh, sent out this past Sunday, August the 25th. Michael said he can sense that among most gold and mining investors and technical analysts taking profits is more on their minds now with respect to gold than holding for a long time position in the yellow metal. He noted, and I quote, technical reasons upon technical reasons, usually by orthodox technical analysts have been raised over the past few months as to why one should take profits and exit gold. If you Uh, examine daily price charts of gold and gdx you will see a repeated behavior on the part of few uh, on the past few months several days of downside occur just enough to spook everyone then bam a single day upswing that erases the prior multi-day correction and the shorts are licking their chops michael noted that uh, last friday was just such a day and uh... He also said uh, on this show a few times, and I quote what he said in his letter, there might be some justification for profit-taking once gold gets into the mid to upper 1500s and as GDX, gold miner ETF, gets into the low 30s. But such but such correction, once reaching those levels, is unlikely to stop gold from ultimately reaching the simple price-based swing objective of its massive, complex head-and-shoulders bottom." In this case, Momentum fully endorses the orthodoxy that swing that the swing objective for gold is $1,700. Then Michael also wrote um, another thought on how to assess gold as it relates to the topic of the first page of his letter last week. He said, and I quote, If gold reaches into the mid to upper 1500s, and at the same time, you see the S&P 500 breaking down through our minefield of numbers specified on pages one on page one of this week's letter. Then think twice about exiting gold. If the S&P 500 also cracks those two layered structures, then gold will very likely be even more aggressive in its vertical advance. And he mentions also the same is likely for the T-bonds. Michael continued saying this past weekend, and I quote, When, if the S&P 500 triggers our annual momentum number, you can probably count the days on one hand that are left on the upside in gold and T-bonds and on the downside in this S&P 500. At such a juncture, we would not be surprised by anything major on the upside that gold might produce with speed and drama in a handful of days. Michael concluded his discussion on gold by saying, and I quote, No, we are not abandoning our monitoring of gold for a potential mid-trend correction, but we are faced with the probability that those charts of gold and T-bonds on the prior page of this letter will not end their verticality until the inverse market produces its downside resolution. And just a thought, a major one, when thinking about exiting gold and related investments, watch the S&P 500. Whether Michael's... uh, And um, that's the end of the quote from Michael. Uh, And that was with Michael's permission. I just shared with you what he wrote about gold uh, in this weekly missive. And keep in mind that those are the kinds of uh, extensive commentary that you get from Michael on all different kinds of markets that he covers. And I would uh, just strongly suggest that if you're a serious investor, you go to OliverMSA.com. OliverMSA.com to profit from Michael's excellent work. Well, we do have to go to commercial break now, but don't go away because I'll be right back with Chen Lin, who has some very important insights about Chinese-American relationships and also some very important insights on a couple of his stop- favorite stock picks. So don't go away. We'll be right back with Chen Lin.
0: Its flagship assets are located in the Pilbara region of Western Australia. Novo has recently partnered with Sumitomo Corporation of Japan to evaluate, advance, and develop the company's Australian gold projects. With over $40 million in cash and $60 million committed from Sumitomo, Novo is well on its way to establishing itself as one of the top junior explorers and developers in
1: Australia.
2: Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really glad to have with me my friend, partner, Chen Lin. Uh, it's really good to have him with us again. Chen has a remarkable career. He hasn't been on the show, uh you know, it's been a few weeks at least, and um, we should probably have him on more often if we could find the space and time, and that's because he has had such a, a very good track record in, um, in his investment career. Uh, both uh, for his subscribers as well as him himself and his family. Uh, he publishes what is Chen buying, what is Chen selling, and you can sign up for it by going to dot com. So if you're a serious investor, uh, I like uh, serious investors to go to Michael Oliver for technical analysis, and I like serious investors to go to Chen for his top picks, uh, and he really has some great in- interesting ideas. Of course, I also like serious investors to come in subscribe to Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks as well, but that's another story. Chen, thanks for joining me again. Thank
3: you, Jay. Glad to be here.
2: Well, I'm really glad to have you, and I really uh, want to hear what you have to say about Chinese-American relations now that you've just been over in China with you and your family on a vacation, uh, not just to China, but Australia, I think Tibet and other places. You have a lot of contacts in Beijing. Uh, what is your sense about the current trade uh, disputes between the U.S. and China. Will they get settled anytime soon? And if so, what might that mean for the markets?
3: Hi, Jay. Yeah, I uh, discussed those topics extensively in my newsletter in the past year. So from my perspective, from what I saw, uh, unfortunately, this dispute probably won't be resolved this year. Uh, that's what I see. Uh, they probably will... Uh, you know, they just drag it and drag it into next year because there's so much uh, distrust between on both sides, uh, right? Between Chinese and and the Trump administration. And then the, they they recently they were uh, saying the Trump saying, "Oh, Chinese called uh, to us to negotiate," and China immediately said, "No, we never call you." So, you know, they, <laughs> it's getting to that that kind of yeah. uh, Confrontational, so it's pretty hard. It takes take time, time to heal. And uh, good news for gold investors is, you know, the, I, I think I, I put that in my newsletter a while ago, that so if there's a deal between China and United States, gold could drop by $100 just on instantaneously. Mm-hmm. Last time there was some delay of tariff, gold dropped by $50. So yeah. I, I don't see we will have this kind of a heart attack for the rest of this year.
2: Mm-hmm. All right. So you think there's nothing much going to happen there on the front uh, for a while? You think uh, the Chinese are keeping an eye on the uh, on the American politics, perhaps, to see if uh, who might be uh, who might be the Democrats' choice and whether they can beat Trump.
3: Right. I think they want to see who are, will be the Democratic candidate and if they're. You know, it's better to negotiate with Democrat or with the Trump or whatever can get the best deal. And mm-hmm. you know, as the election get closer, a lot of things can happen. So uh, I think they just going to drag it and just delay everything. Just so we just you know, Happy New Year. You know, till 2020.
2: Happy New Year. Well, let's hope it's a Happy New Year. Uh, all right. Well, gold and silver. I mean. Uh they look pretty bullish right now. You, how to what extent do you think they're related to this Chinese uh, issue, or are there other things going on? And well, what is your outlook for gold and silver right now? I know, I know, you just mentioned uh, what's going on now between China and the U.S. is probably very bullish for for gold and silver. But but in general, what are your thoughts uh, near term and longer term for gold and silver?
3: Oh, uh- I'm very, you know, very excited. You know, once the, the trade war broke out, I, I put in, that's what last year I put in my letter, this, the, the best trade is gold, right? Best trade for this uh, trade war. Uh, because when there's a uh, dispute, and then people uh, got scared, and then they go to bond, uh, potentially, you know, and, and then there's some investors will go to gold. And yeah. then where the trade war dragged on, uh, you know, there's a lot of Chinese, Rich people, right? They're holding all these Chinese local currency, watching them depreciate, which they really yeah. don't like. And then they're wondering, what should I do? So there's some people are start thinking to put some on the gold. I don't see too much movement, too much money going in yet. So when mm-hmm. they start really getting into gold and silver, I think we'll see much more appreciation.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of silver, uh, one of your top picks for some time is a very interesting company. It's taking forever for things to develop, but I'm talking about Cerro de Pasco, uh, and and that is a company that has uh, it's involved in uh, pulling together a, a very interesting project in Peru, uh, and joining up with a a major mining company, global mining company, or joining up, but at least working a deal with that. Company, can you talk to us a little bit about Cerro de Pascal and uh, tell us a little bit about what is going on there, what the uh, the merger, the uh, the deal that's going on, and uh, where that stands now, Chen?
3: Well, last Sunday there's a, a TV uh, report in Peru, prime time, mm-hmm. like our sixty minutes, and they mentioned Cerro uh-huh. P- de Pascal. They mentioning they specifically mentioned Sarah de P- Pascal will take over everything. That means the the whole Historical mining district. So that's a very exciting moment. As we know, Sarah De Pasco used to be the, one of the greatest mining company in the world. They were listed in the New York Stock Exchange until Peruvian government took it over, nationalized it in the 70s when there's the Vietnam War. The United States couldn't you know couldn't keep an eye on it, and they took out, took it over, and then they drove it to the ground. So, mm-hmm. But it was a, one of the greatest mines and it was built, found by, originally uh, listed on New York Stock Exchange by J.P. Morgan, right? That's like uh-huh. early 1900. So and we, it's a very exciting project, huge resource, uh, huge infrastructure. Everything is there. And if the report, TV report is correct, last, as of last Sunday, in the Peruvian national TV, then uh, Nazar Pascual will take over everything. Right now, the owner of that project is Glencore, and it's a subsidiary. Glencore currently is current owner of this giant project. Mm-hmm. So basically, right now, is, uh, we just wait. Uh, just, uh, I would advise as investors, as shareholders, just give it you know, a few more weeks, and then let's see the deal. You know, hopefully, because it's getting so close, and then it's mentioned on the national TV, uh, so uh, it could happen very soon.
2: I see, and uh, and so, Chen, as I understand it, there's a lot of um, above ground material that they. It's not like they have to go deep into the earth to gra- to mine this material, but it's already on surface. Do I have that right?
3: Exactly, they own the historical tailing and the stockpile, so uh, so they have that, and then the Glencore is the cizzeri own the uh, the giant mining you know, the mill or the other processing plant and then all the pit and all the other resource. But um, uh, for this start the pass right now, the tailing uh, can be very, very rich, right? Mm-hmm. Historically, this, this area, you mine easily 10 grand uh, per ton gold, you know, a, a few hundred gram per ton silver and uh, quite a few percent of copper. Recovery is quite low at the beginning, right? And then mm-hmm. if, if you assume 90% recovery, which is... No, I don't think it's possible. It's still very rich, very rich tailing. So they just need to pump the tailing up, and then go through the processing plant, and then get the metal out.
2: Yeah, and of course, long ago, the technology wasn't there for the kind of recoveries that uh, metallurgical recoveries that uh, most mines are getting these days. They would just leave. They mine the high-grade stuff and leave a lot of a lot of metal behind. So Chen, it's it's not just yes, yeah. It's, so it's not just silver here we've got some gold, I think we got some copper we might have some other base metals right
3: right uh the the historical when they first started was a gold man gold and copper man so uh, they believe uh the tailing uh at the especially lower bottom will be gold rich it will be gold mm-hmm. and copper rich and transition to silver and gold, and then other base metal oh, so I see. they they would draw this they they saw that they 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 have plan to to drill out the historical resource. Total is 90 million tons. Itself is a mine, 90 million tons.
2: Oh, absolutely. should mention that it's uh, trades in Canada under the symbol CDPR. Uh, I believe, and you can buy it in the U.S. as I have uh, on the -the over-the-counter market as well. CPPRF in the U.S. So it's a very exciting story. Okay, Chen, Well, uh, moving on to... uh, there's a biotech. Well, let's let's go to Novo first because you were just over uh, in Australia. You met up with Quentin Henning. You and your family visited their project there in Western Australia. What are what are your thoughts about uh, about Quentin Henning's project now? You know, the stock far below its highs a couple of years ago, 2017, when it made these discoveries, these huge nuggets. Uh, and so the market seems to be sort of ho-hum. It seems to be trading around give or take two dollars. You around you two two dollars in U.S. money these days. But what are your thoughts about this? Uh, do people are they ignoring a good story, or might there not be as much as we thought there might be there one time?
3: Oh, I think people just uh, don't understand it. All right when they first uh they announced i think it was at the denver go show they do a, do the real time broadcast uh, web right. webcast then people got really excited so there's a high grade and you know yeah. those type of vein type or some nugget type of discovery it's not right the the the, the discovery is a relatively low grade but at the surface easy to mine and then you see the recent press release you don't Need water. That's very important. There's a yes. existing technology. You can do a magnet, magnetic field, or X-ray to pick all these gold nuggets out. And, and it's very at the surface. About we are talking about the one, two, three, four meters thick. Mm-hmm. So uh, potentially, uh, I envision you can have a, a one machine right, scoop up the dirt and then goes through that the processing unit, pick up the gold and then put it right back. So uh-huh. it just one machine just continues running that. And, and, you know, that's what I believe Sumitomo is putting money in. Right now, Sumitomo is put, paying the bill. Yes, right now, yes, it's they not. are. Sumitomo, they, they put in like 20 or 30, whatever the, the number is in the press release for up to 40% for a few years. So they are putting it because they want, they for them, they're they very interested in designing those machines, right? Uh-huh. You just pick it up and then. Processing and then gold come out and then dirt cover it. It's on the desert, so perfect, yeah. perfect place. So and and then the the size is enormous. If yeah. this works, if this works, we are talking about hundreds of millions of ounces of gold. Yeah. I, I I truly yeah. believe that. I truly believe. That. Well, so that's well, why I put in my report. I think it's a. Breax 2.0 but actually ironically it could be a real Breax <laughs> a real Breax <laughs> <So>, a <laughs> real Breax
2: yeah, yeah I mean I mean this is the insights that Quentin Henning brought to this project was a massive scale and again it comes as a result of his of his uh, his genius really his ability to to perceive how the Whitwaters Rand was to, was laid down and how massive it was and why there could be so much gold in one place on earth so this is just a story that I'm extremely excited about yet That's for sure. Well, Chen, uh, also another one that, uh, switching gears here a little bit, uh, you have done extremely well with your biotech stocks, and Acosti is one I think that you really like a lot. Tell us a little bit about Acosti Pharmaceuticals, ACST in Canada, I believe it also trades under that symbol in the U.S. What can you tell us about this story now, and are you still a big big believer and an investor in that one?
3: Yes. Hi. Yes. Hi, Jay. Um, I I was uh, remember we were talking about last year. I was at Beaver uh, Creek and Denver. I think across the spring, I mentioned in, uh, Cassie, at That time we're trading at below dollar. Even with such a terrible market, it went to three dollars a couple of months ago. Okay, as people start to see its its tremendous potential. Right now, it came down pretty hard because of the general market. Right now, it's about $1.70, something still much higher, um, uh, more than double it was last year. Mm-hmm. The, the, the key catalyst for them is uh, their data, which will read out in December. Okay? And then to make things more complicated, there's another company called Amarin. They have this uh, great product based on fish oil. Okay. Yes. They supposed to get FDA approval in September, but the market is huge. They will take. A, they will. It's a billion dollar market a year. So basically, they could take away billions of dollars from the major farmer. So then, FDA throw them a curveball. Say, okay, well, I need some time. You know, I don't want to make a decision in September. So let some experts talk about. It. So they have an adcon in November, and then they have a decision in December. So delay by three months, and then the the, the stock just tanked. So, uh, that's part of the attribute to the uh, you know, going down, uh, the, the recent weakness. So, uh, for the armoring, there's all these uh, people, there's some conspiracy theory even mentioning because major farmers are so scared about armoring coming into this space, take away their revenue, so they, they kind of force FDA to delay it. It's possible, I do not know, but I think uh, they will open up for discussion in um, uh, for experts in November. So people look at the benefit. They will actually approve that. And then next will be A cast data will come out in December and January. My belief, okay, I've been using cray oil for decades. I have my mm-hmm. family on cray oil. I have my friends on cray oil. I believe, firmly believe their data will be better than Amory. So people mm-hmm. will look at it, supposedly Amory is successful, uh right now, this stock market cap is billions of dollars, so it even maybe go higher right uh then people will compare to a casticchas maybe one you know maybe five percent of armor market cap, maybe less, maybe a few percent. Then people will ask why this is so cheap. So I believe when the data come out, uh people will get very excited uh Acasti can go much much higher, but right now you have to go through all these difficult market conditions first. Mm-hmm. So that's, and, there's no way Amarin is $5 billion market cap. Okay, uh, Acacia is uh, I think uh, $100 million, something like that.
2: Uh, yeah, very interesting. So where the fish oil has, as I understand it, not only benefits for uh, joints, but also uh, also has some it does have some benefits with respect to blood pressure or cholesterol I guess, huh?
3: Right. Mostly it's for reducing cholesterol. So what Amarin found there is the reducing cholesterol, reduced the, the stroke, the chance of stroke and heart uh-huh. and all the other things. Which is very obvious, right? You could uh-huh. cholesterol. So so that because they're uh, they prove it works, then uh, all these uh, uh insurance, you know, that they can doctor can prescribe insurance will cover it. It's not yes. very expensive drug. It's a few hundred dollar maybe per month, some those kind of range, okay? Not very uh-huh. expensive. Not an extraordinary heart surgery, those type expense, but they can be very, very um Big market and then'll we'll take away from statin, put it away from other uh, drugs from major farmers that's what I, I my understanding okay that could be the pushback why FDA delays the amarin's approval uh-huh. by the
2: lots of money okay. being lost by the big boys if that if that yeah, works. There will be if, a lot yeah. of
3: money will be lost Wednesday yeah. exactly and then they have a little bit of controversy for their um, uh, placebo, you know, they use mineral oil, 4 grams per day mineral oil and then controversy is that oh, 4 grams per day mineral oil actually increase your cholesterol or something <laughs> it's, it's, it. It, it, the argument is very weak, I don't think it's a problem and then Cassie uh-huh. has no placebo problem at all because they're using cornstarch, right, so yeah. <laughs> all these, uh, you get all these details but on the other, uh, in addition Cassie is also looking for uh, the secondary endpoint is to reduce your blood sugar so, think about it. If you can both reduce cholesterol and blood sugar, you have a home mm-hmm. run. You have something very inexpensive and very helpful to your health, right?
2: Yeah, and and Chen, just we have to go now, but what is the market cap of Acosti then about?
3: Acosti right now about 140 million.
2: 140
3: million? About 5 billion. Five compared billion. to 5 billion. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, fascinating. Uh, my point is, well, you I, know, i will do well it could even go higher maybe 10 billion and but casi will go even higher because if they have a better product right but we'll see in a few months
2: well very interesting uh, free markets of course uh, governments a lot of times get in the way of free markets and uh, that's for sure not just in in areas of pharmaceuticals but as we're going to talk to Alistair McLeod in a couple of minutes certainly the government gets in the way in terms of the the uh, Financial market, markets, as well, very often. So, Chen, uh, great hearing from you again. And uh, let me just uh, suggest to my listeners, ChenPix.com. ChenPix.com. You got a little flavor of the detail that Chen gets involved with. The reason he's been so successful with his investments is he really does pay attention to details. And you know, the devil is in the details, as they say. So, Chen, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you, and uh, we'll do it again sometime soon. Well, folks, we are going to break now, but don't go away because Alistair McLeod will be with me. You don't want to miss hearing what Alistair has to say on a very, into- very very important subject. Interest rates heading to negative territory. My goodness, what is that going to It makes no sense whatsoever to most. Only the people in the, um, in the universities seem to make any sense of it. But in the real world, it doesn't make any sense at all. And Alistair will be here to talk about deeply negative nominal rates are on their way. We'll be right back with Alistair McLeod.
0: A gold rush has begun. Recently, three of the largest gold mining companies announced strategic acquisitions in the Yukon territories. Ahead of them was a group who had already consolidated the key claims covering the historic Klondike gold rush into one company aptly named Klondike Gold Corp. Led by a team of accomplished geoscientists, the company is steadily advancing exploration to reveal the rich source of all that gold. The hunt for the next major discovery is well underway, and Klondike Gold's shareholders are strategically positioned. Stay ahead of the majors and follow klondikegoldcorp.com. Great Bear Resources, trading under GBR on the TSX and GTBDF on the OTCQB, is a gold exploration company focused on their wholly owned Dixie project in the prolific Red Lake Mining District of Canada. Having recently made four major gold discoveries, GBR is now fully funded to drill 90,000 meters through to the year 2020 as part of a very active exploration program. Rob McEwen, of McEwen Mining. A Red Lake veteran is a significant shareholder following a recent $5.7 million investment. To stay up to date, visit GreatBearResources.ca Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business.
2: Welcome back to Turning Hard Times Into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have Alistair McLeod with us once again. Uh, Alistair uh, is uh, a financial analyst at goldmoney.com, and I would really suggest that you go to goldmoney.com at least once a week to catch Alistair's weekly commentary that's there. His essays are uh, they're not stuff of the surface. They go deep. They, they go into the reasons why things are the way they are and uh, he has a very good grasp of human nature and why things are the way they are and why governments many times try to try to fool Mother Nature, in a sense, by um, passing laws and doing things that are contrary to human nature. Alistair, thanks for joining us again. Hello. Yes, Hello. Uh, Alistair, we want to talk to you about your deeply negative nominal rates uh, recent essay that you wrote at Gold Money. Oh. And Alistair, you know when I, you, anybody that takes a look at a long-term treasury rate chart, U.S. treasury rates, we'll see that since about 1980 or so, every cycle, every credit cycle saw lower highs and lower lows. And so I'm asking, I would like you to talk about why that has happened. Can you talk about the dynamics as to why we're seeing chronically lower rates since about 1980?
4: Uh, Yes, indeed. I think it's a function of the increase of the quantity of money without much of an increase in actual production. Mm-hmm. So what we have in effect is not so much the price is being eroded, but more and more money in the system. And of course, you see that people, uh, you know, they look at things like velocity of circulation, which actually is a completely meaningless thing. But what that does tell you is there's just more money in the economy. And, um, uh, you know, as a result, uh, it doesn't take um, quite such a high rate of interest to suddenly upset the thing Because the other side of that money, of course, is the debt that has been created. And um, it's the debt that puts the limit, if you like, on how far interest rates can rise before you trigger the crisis in the cycle. Uh, And that is why we've had declining peaks of interest Mm -hmm. rates uh, ever since the 1980s. And um, we've now got to the point where um, if we just raise interest rates to, say, Two and a half, three percent, I'm talking dollars here, yeah. then the whole system begins to fall over because of the debt. I mean, it's just so much debt around now. It's all been created, it hasn't been washed out. And of course, we cannot afford to have it washed out for the simple reason that no central banker is appointed to bring about conditions that will bankrupt. The economy bankrupt the banks and make government funding more expensive uh, more expensive so mm-hmm. they've got themselves if you like into uh, this sort of this final trap which actually um you know if, if you if you read von Mises' earlier works you know the theory of money and credit um you would have see, you would have been able to deduce that this is the sort of thing that we, we were going to end up with but what it means jay is that um you know, you've got the problem that when it comes to reducing interest rates in order to save the world the next time, um, your computer model probably says that you need to reduce it by an average of about 5% going back seeing what happened last time the time before and uh-huh. so on and so forth so yeah. how do you how do you reduce it from 5 to 5 by 5% from two and a half well <laughs> the answer is you can't <laughs> you know you have to go negative that's what the model tells you mm-hmm. and uh, i mean fortunately in a sense, I suppose um, you know, central bankers are, are naturally cautious about having such extreme policies to try and rescue the economy. But the problem they have is they're going to get themselves into a bind. I believe, and I'll say a little bit more about that in a second. But they they risk getting themselves into a bind uh, in a sense, in a sense where um, they think, well, the only option is to go negative. Mm -hmm. And uh, then that has very, very serious consequences because it puts the whole of the commodity complex into backwardation. Now, I should draw a distinction between the dollar and um, the other major currencies, I mean, particularly the euro and the yen. Um, The difference with the dollar is that we price all our international trade, we price our markets in dollars, not in euros or yen, Mm -hmm. so that uh, the ECB and the Bank of Japan can reduce their interest rates into negative territory, putting aside whether this is wise or not, uh, Mm -hmm. that's That's a different issue. But the point is they can do it without um, uh, bankrupting uh, uh, the global financial system. But if America does it, just think on this, everything goes into backwardation. And what that means is there is a huge incentive for us all to buy commodities to buy, um, if you like, the things that we usually use um, rather than hold dollars. So suddenly we have got the reason to basically get rid of all cash, all cash dollars, all dollar deposits. And then what does that do? It basically collapses the purchasing power of, of, of the dollar. Now, I don't know whether central bankers actually realize that uh, this is the dynamic that they're now faced with. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, we don't even have to go negative to, to get to that situation. Um, if you remember back to the wake of the Lehman crisis, yes. um, interest rates were reduced to zero as part of the monetary package to deal with that. Mm-hmm. Now, having, having reduced those interest rates down to zero, um, when it became clear that the whole system wasn't going to fall over, the gold price then rallied strongly from about 740 dollars uh, up to i think it was 1920 in right. september mm-hmm. um, 2011 right now um that was as far as it got so it went up it more than doubled um we got to the stage where um uh, you know it sort of then then paused um and then it became clear that there was going to be, at some stage in the future, economic recovery. Now, what that meant was that at some stage in the future, dollar interest rates would start rising. Mm -hmm. Now, from the point of view of um, the, the bullion banks in the system, they then moved from the situation where um, they had to close down their dollar obligations against their gold obligations. So they had to they had to begin to cover those, which mm-hmm. is one of the reasons that the gold price was driven so firmly upwards. And then, when they could see that interest rates on the horizon were likely to rise, uh-huh. at that stage the pressure came off gold. We are we are now in exactly the same situation, and I'm. I'm at the moment drafting an article which will go out on Thursday on precisely this point, because um, the, the the thing that people just don't seem to realize is that gold has an interest rate. The best way to describe it is time preference. Yes. Um, you know, uh, you have some gold. If I want to borrow your gold, you are going to lose possession of that until I return it to you. Uh, Basically, you value the possession of the gold uh, more than you value non-possession. Mm-hmm. so um if i if you're going to part with that gold there is a rate which i would have to pay you in order to persuade you with you persuade you to part with that gold for sure. a period of time which we would agree with us uh, i think that's pretty uncontentious but what that does mean is that gold has an interest rate because that time preference is represented by an interest rate now if you also uh, extend that to the dollar the dollar has uh, a time preference element um, mm-hmm. And an interest rate. Now, we don't see that in the sense because the central banks have taken over control of the pricing Mm -hmm. of interest on the dollar. So we're not allowed to have um, a a, a time preference on the dollar, except to the extent that the central bank allows us to have one. Mm -hmm. Now, if you compare the two, the time preference rate on gold and the time preference rate on the dollar, If you reduce the time preference rate on the dollar, let us say, call it an interest interest rate, below a certain level, then obviously, um, you know, this is going to favor uh, holding gold rather than rather than holding the, do- the, the dollar. We put, put aside all considerations about, you know, um, the, the you know, unsound money and all this sort of stuff. Yeah. Just, just, just think in terms of time preference. Sure. So uh, we now have a situation where, um, you know, it's, it, it makes more sense to hold gold than dollars. Now, the bullion banks who have geared up and are synthetically short of a lot of physical metal have a problem when the dollar rate falls below the gold rate, and mm-hmm. that more or less is where we are at the moment. Um, if you look at the, and this is just a rough guide, the forward rate for gold uh, is around about 1.9% per annum. Uh, LIBOR is around about 1.9% per annum. If you for for a year, so if you take the two together, what have you got? You have got zero. Uh, uh, for the time preference for gold. So um, already we're in a situation where the bullion banks are having to switch from uh, having um, a little bit of gold financing interest rate swaps and arbitrages and all the rest of it in dollars to a situation where they should be uh, closing out their gold um, obligations. Mm -hmm. And if interest rates in the dollar go any lower, they should be holding on to a small pot of dollars in order to buy a larger pot of gold yeah. and other commodities, which also have time preferences. Sure. So so this is, I mean, it, 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 it's important to grasp this point because we've seen gold now move very rapidly from, uh, I mean, in the last few months, very rapidly from sort of 1350, 1360, which was seen as a rock solid barrier and tonight we're looking at 1540 dollars and that's a a fairly short period of time what is happening is that there's the fundamentals that are going on about time preference for gold relative to time preference for dollars now we have a now we have a problem how far is this going to go Mm -hmm. let's look at the overall economy I think you and I, we've discussed this so often, can agree that we have come towards the end of the credit cycle, the expansionary phase of the credit cycle, and we are likely to tip into, you know, that sort of periodic um, recession, which you alluded to by um, bringing forward the interest rates, you know, the declining interest rate peak uh, story. Um, So. So we've got that. On top of that, we have got um, the problem of uh, President Trump's tariffs against China. Mm-hmm. Now, this is exactly the situation we had in 1929 to 1932, which, first of all, uh, knocked Wall Street down top to bottom 35 percent in October 1929. It recovered somewhat until Smoot-Hawley was actually signed into law by President Hoover, which was, uh, I think, around about um, uh, April, May 1930. And, um, you know, then, of course, you had this slump uh, in the 30s and all the rest Mm -hmm. of it. Now, what nobody has actually researched is the synergistic effect of the trade tariffs on top of a turning credit cycle. Mm, now, wow. if you, if, it, conceptually, if you put those two, two things together, you can come up with an explanation as to why the depression, the, well, firstly the fall in Wall Street, but also the depression in the 1930s was so, so deep. Mm-hmm. Now, if I'm right in drawing that empirical evidence towards us, then what we face is not just a sort of downturn in the global economy which can be corrected by um you know a, a temporary expansion of the quantity of money you know a little bit of qe and maybe not knocking a half or a you know a, a point off interest rates right it's a lot more serious than that now if it is more serious than that then our negative interest rate play is going to become a real possibility, uh, first in uh, the Eurozone and also in uh, uh, Japan and various other central banks like the Swiss, the Danish and the Swedish who are already there in a small way. Yes. They're going to go deeply negative. And um, the pressure on um, uh, the Fed to not only go down to zero, but maybe go that little bit further is going to become intolerable. Yeah. Now, then, then we have this problem. If you're a bullion bank and you're sitting there, um, you know you can see that interest rates are already going against your operations, um, whereby you gear up on a small amount of gold. That is already being killed in the current situation. Mm-hmm. So, what's the outlook? Well, the outlook is it's going to get considerably worse. It's not like 2012 where suddenly you could begin to say, do you know, the Cyprus crisis and all the rest of it, we've, we've gone through that and actually we have survived. The, con- the global economy is going to survive. Dollar interest rates at some stage in the future are going to go up. We can hang on. We can bash mm-hmm. the gold price. We can get back into business because, you know, the problem is now dealt with. Mm -hmm. The problem this time is not dealt with. The problem is going to get worse and worse and worse. So what do the bullion banks do? They have to close down every outstanding gold liability. Otherwise, they are likely to go bust. Wow. And that is why the gold price is so strong. So it's got nothing to do with, uh, at this stage, nothing to do with uh, the, the uh, you know, um, you know, we've got to you know, the charts are looking good or uh, yeah. you know the, there's <laughs> so many thousands of dollars you know in, in you know per ounce of gold yeah. and all, forget all that. So it's if the a, it's banks that have the trouble.
2: So the bullion banks are covering their shorts. They're starting to
4: cover their shorts. Is that what you're they're saying? Beginning, yes, they're beginning to do it. I think you'll find the big boys are beginning to do it. Whether the smaller ones have actually caught on to this. I mean, they must do to an extent, simply because, well, for a start, they see the price run. Yeah, um, well, this is something... This is something which is new and they will be looking. I mean, because, you know, if you've got to, if you've got to pay um, uh, an, an amount to borrow gold, um, you're, you know, why are you doing it? You're doing it to get into an arbitrage into something else. Right. And, you know, if your arbitrage is, 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 is a dead loss, then okay. all you've got is a gold liability. And that's yeah. red. That's the thing that is driving awesome. the price. Very interesting.
2: Well, uh, Alistair, I'd like to explore just a little bit more um, the backwardation comment that you made, uh, why com- commodities will go into backwardation because the currency becomes worth less and, and also why, uh, if you can help me understand again, the difference between the U.S. owning the world's reserve currency and the euro, for example, why, uh, wh- why we can't do it, we can't go negative whereas they can
4: well it's 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 not quite as you, it's not quite as you say uh, basically the reason that uh, there will be a backwardation across the whole commodity complex is mm-hmm. because you have negative interest rates uh-huh. remember remember that every item there is every good has mm-hmm. an implied time preference sure yep. yeah so so you know it's not just gold Gold, yes. in its monetary sense, actually acts as a proxy for all the other commodities, sure. and incidentally, anything that you or I might buy if we were using gold as money. So um, the, the the problem then is that if you've got negative interest rates, instead of um, you know uh, the price of copper being, let's say. Uh, you know, two thousand dollars a ton. Um, the price for a month delivery is two thousand and twenty dollars a ton. The uh-huh. price for a year's delivery is is uh, two thousand one hundred ton. No, what happens is the price today is two thousand two hundred. The price, um, uh, let's say, for a month delivery, <laughs> yeah. Is- is, is 2100. So it's got a backwardation. But the yeah. backwardation isn't because people are buying copper. The backwardation is forced on the market by the monetary policy of the Fed. I see. I see. Now, getting okay. back to your question as to why it's a dollar and, and nothing else, it's really quite simple. All commodities internationally are priced in Price dollars. Yeah. dollars. Okay. Yeah. Not good. euros. So the euros can do it. Forget you know, and it's it you know they will create their own problems, but they won't necessarily <laughs> upset the apple cart in the way the dollar would certainly do I, so. I,
2: I got you now. I understand that. That's very, very interesting. Well, I, I do have to ask you, with the few minutes left, we got uh, oh maybe five six minutes left here, Alistair, to comment a little bit, if you could, on the news that uh, Bank of England Governor Mark Carney made at uh, Jackson Hole on uh, I guess it was on Monday. Yeah. Uh, no, it was last weekend. It was last Friday, uh, I guess it was, yeah. yep. uh, in which he suggested that um, – he made a speech in which he said that the world's reliance on the dollar won't hold and needs to be replaced by a new international monetary and financial system based on many more global currencies. Now, I kind of followed his logic. I didn't read the 23-page memo, but I've read commentaries about it. What, what are your thoughts about it? Do you think that he's seeing what you're seeing here to an, to an extent?
4: No, he's seeing, he's seeing a very different thing. Uh, really, um, the burden of his speech was really quite simple, and that is that America is becoming a smaller and smaller part of the right. global GDP right. because of the, you know, the, the emerging markets have now, or what we used to call emerging markets, have now become so important. And um, it's a trend which is likely to continue. Mm -hmm. And he reckoned I can't I I think it was by 2030 or something, but that uh, the American economy will have fallen from something like 40 or 50 percent down to about 25 percent of global GDP. Yet the one currency that everybody is forced to use is the dollar. And so what you have got is, in effect, a mismatch. Between mm-hmm. uh, the 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 uh, um, you know the currency use and the actual importance of the American economy, now so I think it's I think its case was quite simple. He didn't know how to go go with it. I mean, you know, he sort of very fairly said, you know, sort of basket of currencies, Libra, what, you know, technology might come into it, and so on. Um, But I think behind it, there is a very serious concern in the Bank of International Settlements. And by that, I mean the mainstream non-American central bankers, probably the American ones as well, that to have uh, a loose cannon like Donald Trump running around trying to bully the Fed into monetary policies which could well be wrong um you know i think they are very worried about this the implications um uh, particularly for the rest of the world um because you know if america just runs her monetary policies for herself then that right. is going to create huge huge strains
2: right Because uh, as the world's reserve currency, we have had to do things that you could argue were not in the best interest of the United States just simply to make sure there's enough dollars out there all the time. We had to run chronic trade deficits, as I see it, in order to enable – in order to ensure enough liquidity for the dollar to remain as the world's reserve currency. And if you try to reverse that, which Trump is trying to do in a way – for his constituents in the Midwest, which have been hurt most, I think, it uh, doesn't work very well. Well, just uh, real quickly here. Also, I, I I got another bit of news today, Alistair. I'd like you to comment on Bill Dudley, former with the formerly with the uh, with New York Fed. Um, uh, has urged Fed Chairman Powell, apparently, to prevent Trump's re-election. I'm not sure how he would do that other than just to, just to maybe tighten the monetary system and throw us into a heck of a, of a recession or depression. But, but uh, what are your thoughts about that? You just sort of alluded to the loose cannon aspect. Do you think that's what Bill Dudley is, is thinking?
4: I think that is what he's thinking, and I, I think there's an element in it, too, um, of, uh, you know, I, I don't know what his political uh, thoughts are, but if he is a Keynesian, and I think it's a fair yeah. bet he's Most a Keynesian. Most likely he is, yeah. Yeah, then then, then basically he is a, a socialist, if you like, it, yeah. emotionally. Um, and uh, if he was in this country, we'd probably say that is a Remainer, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. So yes, you know, it, you, I think I think you know, it's it's he's 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 anti what Trump represents basically. It just can't stand the idea of a Trump. I mean, just the same as Remainers can't stand the idea of yeah. uh, you know going out of the EU. It's it's something that they just can't get their heads around.
2: All right, uh, real quickly, I think I've got a minute here yet. Uh, Jim Rickards talks about the uh, an SDR at the IMF, a one world. Currency, Uh, maybe it has some gold attached to it, but it'd be a basket of, uh, or maybe other commodities too. Where do you think, how do you think this is going to play out, Alistair? Because clearly the system is broken and it can't go on much longer. Uh, We have 30 seconds left.
4: Yeah, I think that's part of the theme behind uh, Carney's speech, too. The system is broken, and I hear from all sorts of quarters uh, people struggling to come up with an answer on this. I don't believe SDRs are the answer. SDRs are just, if you like, printing multiple currencies in the weightings of an SDR. It is more inflationism. That's all it is. And by the way, gold is banned from the SDR, it cannot be part of it.
2: Oh, okay. Well, then we get back to the same old problem, don't we? The same old big lie that time preference doesn't matter, which is at the heart of it, isn't it, Alistair? The yes, idea yes, that time yes, preference, I, I mean, Keynes denied time preference, and there was another, you address in your article, uh, the sort of the, the origins of that great lie, so people should go and read Alistair's article, that one, and every week, go to goldmoney.com to read what Alistair MacLeod is writing, He's on this show so often because I find him to be one of the most interesting and insightful writers that I read. Thanks for being with us again, Alistair. We'll look forward to having you again as soon as possible. Thank you very much for being with us.
4: My pleasure, Jay.
2: All right, folks. uh, Next week we have David Stockman with us, and uh, I believe Michael Oliver will be back as well. Until then, goodbye and God's blessings to you.